information that you receive on Exclusively Inclusive Podcast is designed to be a learning experience for patients and listeners in order to supplement their own information so they can be better equipped to be advocates in their own healthcare journey. The opinions expressed by Erin Everett are the opinions of her own and do not represent any third parties or separate entities. In addition, the specialists that present on the show are also here to supplement your own healthcare information and are not designed to replace any treatment plans or information you're receiving from your own healthcare specialists. We hope that you enjoy the show and continue to subscribe and listen in. It's like a double-edged sword. You want to be able to sometimes fly under the radar and just live your normal life and not always have your gender identity be what's guiding you. But at the same time, without being visible and talking about your AFAB status, then you're also doing a disservice a little bit to your actual sexual health needs. Welcome to Exclusively Inclusive. Your source for the latest in LGBTQIA healthcare, transgender HRT, and personal empowerment. Here's your host, Erin Everett. Hey everybody, welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Exclusively Inclusive. I'm your host, Erin Everett. On today's episode, we're going to be talking to Quentin Reynolds, who's the lead organizer for a program called Transforming. Transforming was established in 2007 here in Atlanta, Georgia, and it's a membership-based organization led by trans men, intersex, gender nonconforming, people of color, wrongly assigned female at birth, including those who ID as male or man. And those who are questioning even can uh, join Transforming. The organization hosts monthly meetings, social gatherings, and provides resources and all-around transitional support. They exist to share information, provide social support, camaraderie, and assist members in their transition. Quentin is here today to talk to us about specific projects that Transforming is currently working on. While they have multiple projects and they're constantly helping out the community, there are two projects that we have discussed as really wanting to increase awareness on specifically. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Quentin. Uh, hi, Aaron. Thanks for having me um, again. My name is Quentin Reynolds, pronouns he, him, his. Um, I'm the lead organizer for Transforming, which is a nonprofit organization for AFAB individuals. We have um, services and our demographic is um, AFAB individuals that are intersex, trans men, gender non-confirming, and or non-binary individuals assigned female at birth. I've been working for the organization about three and a half years. Uh, we are located in Metro Atlanta, but we have collaborations in other organizations, um, national, that we work with and do collaborations with. That's awesome. I didn't realize you guys were so heavily networked. I knew you were working in Atlanta, but I didn't know you were networked with outside organizations. So that's really that's really cool. Yeah, um, we're actually a part of a coalition called Black Girls Rule. And it is probably about over 30 organizations um, that's a part of that coalition. And we usually meet yearly to just catch up and debrief on what each organization is doing and to just stay linked and connected to each other. Oh, wow. That's really cool. So, you know, you told us a little bit about transforming and your role with transforming, but I know you guys are working on some specific projects. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the projects that you guys are working on right now? Yeah, of course. One of the main projects we're working on right now is our HIV 
sexual health project and it's focused on AFAP individuals, but we are opening it to a broad scope of gender diverse individuals. Uh, but the project specifically is to bring awareness around sexual health in AFAP individuals, destigmatizing HIV and gender diverse people, and destigmatizing negative characteristics for AFAP people when it comes to sexual health. And it's, we, it kind of teaches around intersectionality also to mm-hmm. bring out why it's so stigmatized for specifically more masculine-centered, like trans men and trans-masculine represent folks, why it's so negative and Why do you think that is? Well, what, what I've learned, it's, it's, it's about masculinity and people, when it comes to masculinity, they feel like if it's not associated with the gender identity that they present or what how, the gender identity that they are, mm-hmm. that it... Like it doesn't exist almost? It doesn't exist. Yeah. And, and it's kind of like it's, it, it disassociates it's, or mm-hmm. it invalidates that gender identity. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. You know, I think, you know, unless you're really working in the field, I mean, we can sometimes get caught up in our little bubbles. And so it's really refreshing and really grounding to hear you say that because, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, oh, yeah, but doesn't everybody ask about sexual health with AFABs? No, they don't, you know? I often, when I'm onboarding a new patient and we're getting ready to start HRT and their AFAB, you know, I also mention just simple things like just because you're not no longer menstruating or won't be menstruating anymore doesn't mean you can't get pregnant. And they kind of look at me like I have four heads, you know, like, oh, first of all, I'm, I never plan on having sex with anyone with a phallus. And it's like, well, you that's your plan now, but things change and you need to be armed with the information so that you can make safe, healthy decisions. But, you know, it's like they don't even think about that because to your point, they have disassociated from their internal organs. And then once they become more masculating, it's even more disassociating. It's like that part doesn't exist. They don't want to think about it. They don't want to talk about it. But then again, some people do, and they have a great healthy relationship with those organs. So it's really interesting. And I think that this project is so important. Yeah. And it's, and it's also to get people to be comfortable in their bodies Mm-hmm. Just to let them know that it's okay, wh- however you like to have sex, to just mm-hmm. really be honest about it, to protect yourself mm-hmm. and to best learn and get the knowledge that we need because it's not a lot of information out there for AFAB individuals, especially for those who have receptive sex or who have mm-hmm. sex with trans women or mm-hmm. non-binary um, mm-hmm. AMAB folks or cis men. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a lot of information out there for mm-hmm. sexual health for um, AFAB individuals. Right. So that's a, a lot of things that we, we're having conversations with individuals. So it, to get the, to figure out what the root of it is. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of times when we go into provider's office, I know I've been to you all's practice. You, I'm a patient of you all's, but a lot of um, individuals that I'm talking to, mm-hmm. doctors don't ask them these type of questions that surround sexual health. And most of the time they're assumed a lot of trans masculine or trans men are assumed to be, they think it's, they have the stereotype when they go inside of the office. A lot of the providers um, assume that 
pretty much that they're still lesbians, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's problematic. So mm-hmm. they already think that, okay, this trans man or trans masculine person is automatically assumed to be in a relationship or having mm-hmm. sexual relations with a cis woman. Yeah. And, they, and, and, and it totally disregards mm-hmm. their identity. And, and I think a lot of times um, some providers aren't really educated on the inform- on information about trans individuals mm-hmm. and they associate gender identity with sexual orientation still. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're so right. That is like such a battle that we have to fight because those two are so separate from each other. And then I also try and tell my patients too when I'm talking about this stuff is that sometimes sexual preference changes when you incorporate hormones. And so that's why I try to speak very broadly about sexual health and not make any assumptions. But I think it's so important what you guys are doing going into other provider offices, because, you know, what we do shouldn't be special, it shouldn't be unique, and it shouldn't be something that people come to us so that they can get that comprehensive care. And I think that's what so many like heteronormative, like cis people take for granted is that they can walk into a provider's office and they're provided with the questions that they need to stay healthy. Whereas other people in the gender diverse community, either gender queer, sexually queer, all the different sexual preferences and whatnot, they can't just walk into an office and know that their provider is going to ask them questions pertinent to their own health. And so educating those providers and those primary care practices is going to be, that's going to be hard, but it's so important. Yes, it, it is important, especially when um, the the rates are of HIV transmission and mm-hmm. the trans community is so high. It is and, so high. And also when STI is not just HIV. Mm-hmm. And, and we don't really have any research we done on us and we don't really know how hormones mm-hmm. affect. I do know that it affects the lining of the the vaginal canal. Yep. But a lot of individuals don't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're having receptive sex, that puts you at more risk for mm-hmm. or t- transmission. And so these are just some of the things that we try to let individuals know, you know, and like you said, sometimes sexual fluidity and sexual orientation changes during transition or hormone therapy and, mm-hmm. Sometimes it might not just be the hormones. Maybe you might be with a partner that mm-hmm. you try different things or you mm-hmm. experience with. And, and you really, I think transition is a part of really getting to know who you really are because yes. before <laughs> you didn't really know. You weren't living your truth. Uh, yes. Yeah, so you yeah. weren't really comfortable at all. And, right. and you might not still be comfortable all the way within transition, but right. you it's like a re-identity. You are yep. re-getting to know yourself and what you like and what you don't like. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think it, that's what I think it is. I don't necessarily think it's the hormones changing it, but I think it's that medical transition and the developing those secondary sex characteristics that match how you've always felt and kind of like falling into your true self and living an authentic self, like living your truth, speaking your truth, then it allows you to grow as a person and explore what else is true about me. You know, that's what I think it is. I don't think it's necessarily like the chemicals and the hormones and and that type of thing. But I think you're 100% right. It's just about evolving as a person. One of the things that you touched on that I was going to expand on real quick because like my health provider mode went kicked in for a second. Um, <laughs> when you're talking about STDs and the impact of hormones on sexually transmitted infections, 
you're 1000% right with how the lack of estrogen can make those tissues more friable and more susceptible to small cuts and tears from just regular friction. And so one way that people can combat that too is making sure they're using a lot of lubricants. And so when we're talking about STDs in that regard too, we're talking about trichomonas, gonorrhea, chlamydia. And when, when your colleagues and your friends and your network are going to see their providers, what they need to be doing is getting vaginal swabs for those because sometimes it can be picked up on urine if you're doing, uh, engaging in oral sex. But if you're having penetrative intercourse, even with toys, and if you're sharing toys, then doing a vaginal swab is going to pick up on those um, infections that are up closer to the cervix. And also bacterial vaginosis is something that people forget about too. But I often have a lot of patients coming in complaining, thinking that their cycle is coming back or they're having painful orgasms with um, some spotting and and bleeding. And with, you know, I tend to ask them, well, are you having outside of that, you know, either thin watery discharge, gray discharge can be odorous or not. And is the discharge that you're experiencing like pink in nature causing you to wear a liner? And a lot of people report yes. Well, when I treat them for bacterial vaginosis with just some topical gels or an oral medication, depending on their comfort level, that goes away. And so that can actually be considered an STD because depending on who you're sexually active with, it can be passed back and forth, even though it's considered normal bacteria. When the pH of that area changes because of the lack of estrogen, the normal bacteria overgrows, cause those run-of-the-mill infections that aren't harmful, but they're inconvenient and they can cause painful orgasms. So just wanted to throw that in there. <laughs> yeah, that's that's good. A lot of providers don't have or give out that information yeah. to trans individuals, and, and a lot of times it's uncomfortable an uncomfortable topic. Yeah. Um, even with a provider that's knowledgeable yeah. about it. Um, yeah. Do you think the uncomfortable, uncomfortable topic. do you think who's most uncomfortable about it? Do you think it's the patient or the provider? Um, sometimes I could say it could be the patient, but sometimes if you don't have a competent doctor, mm-hmm. then it, it, it would be, I wouldn't be comfortable going to have a conversation with a doctor that, didn't really know what they were talking about. Yeah. Um, and when you say competent, really you mean like, me. yeah, yeah. When you say competent, you mean in transgender medicine and the gender diverse community? Yeah. So yeah. having cultural competency tra- training and, mm-hmm. and, and knowledgeable on and not just having the training mm-hmm. um, and keeping up to date with the information. A lot of doctors I've before I found you all, I went to um, a provider's office and they were totally non-competent around uh, transgender identity. And they they really didn't have much knowledge on it. So I ended up finding you all. Thank God. Um, <laughs> we're glad you found us, yes, too. <laughs> yes. Um, so that was that I, I refer a lot of individuals to you all just because I know it's hard to find a provider that you can be comfortable with and has knowledge on the transgender community. Mm -hmm. It is difficult. And so that's why I think, you know, your sexual health project is so important because again, the sexual health needs of AFAB and non-binary, non-conforming individuals can be totally overlooked at other clinics. One question I had for you about that, too, when you're going into these practices and trying to, you know, provide competency training, are you guys talking about Truvada for PrEP? So we haven't exclusively started talking about PrEP. We do talk about prevention methods, 
but that has been a thing that we have been talking about not just exclusively exclusively Trivada but the mm-hmm. disclusion for the other prep per, um, preventative measures Discovery yes yeah. so that's that's a lot of stuff that we've been having with it a conversation we've been having within the community mm-hmm. not so much as uh, providers uh, when we go to uh, mm-hmm. we do ask if they prescribe prep or what their procedures are for prescribing prep for trans masculine trans men individuals mm-hmm. and really uh, we've been discussing intake process mm-hmm. and how that intake is done who mm-hmm. does the intake how's the intake worded and after the intake is done, like what are they doing afterwards to follow up? Like who's when they go in the back with the provider. And I will say that some of the providers are saying that when they do after the intake is done, if the prep is needed or the questions that they answer, they will prescribe the prep. But uh, we've also so been doing conversations within the community around intake and and around experiences Mm -hmm. that have been happening with when they go into a provider's office and a lot of the times individuals or what it will stop an individual from going into the provider's office Mm -hmm. or being honest at the provider's office is how they're treated during the intake process and Mm -hmm. how things are worded during the intake process Mm -hmm. a lot of the times individuals um, doctors will say they're cultural competent or providers will say that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's not the provider that's the issue. It's the intake process and the people at the front desk that mm-hmm. they've been having issues with. I had an issue with the gynecologist that I was going to. Mm-hmm. Um, it was never an issue when I went in with him. It was always the front desk issue. Yeah. Um, and, and, and to me, that is one of the most uncomfortable situations to be in, For especially sure. when it's a, a a more the minority or it's generally for cis women. Mm-hmm. The atmosphere is so the environment. So when you're in there, you're already uncomfortable, right? And before I went there, I had an issue over the phone, you know, because they like, oh, are you calling for your girlfriend? And I'm like, you know, I had to explain. But mm-hmm. then when I went in. I had already talked to the same individuals there and I was still misgendered when I got there. So the it's, 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 yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a double edged sword kind of. So that deters a lot of individuals from even going to have um, to, especially to a gynecologist that really deters Mm -hmm. um, individuals. So that's been a major focus of what we have been looking for. A lot of clinics will Mm -hmm. prescribe the prep Trivada to, Sometimes I've heard some people have had to lie um, because they've said that the pretty much the doctor or the provider was saying that they weren't at risk. What? Um, for yes, um, and and that's a lot. That's a, <laughs> some of the issues that has it, it, that is problematic. Um, it's very problematic. And overlooked most of the time. Yeah. And excluded from stuff. Pretty much if anybody's asking me about prep, they're at risk and probably need to be on it. So, you know, I'm I'm like interviewing people and asking them about their sexual practices and I try to be very upfront and open with them. Like, I'm not being nosy. I'm just trying to like tailor your sexual health needs to you as an individual. I, you know, I'm not being judgmental. I'm not just being like, hey, what kind of, you know, what kind of people are you having sex with? Because I'm nosy. I want to make sure that I'm addressing your sexual health needs. And I understand that everybody's approach is different, but 
So in that, every new patient that walks through my door gets that interview. And, and we actually have a sexual health screening where they can fill out if they're interested in HIV prevention or not. And a lot of people will mark not interested, but I've also looked at the type of sex that they're having. And then I say, well, I know you marked that you're not interested, but I just want to briefly tell you about it in case, you know, your lifestyle habits change or whatever. I want you to have that information and know that you can come back and we can have a more detailed discussion about it because what's relevant to you now may not be relevant in three years. And so that's also important. But so if a patient was to ask me about PrEP and, you know, for whatever reason that interview hadn't occurred or whatever, if I wasn't the provider that saw them as the new patient or whatnot, I'm already like, okay, well, they obviously know enough to know about PrEP. So (laughs) they're engaging in some sort of activity that puts them at risk for contracting HIV. And for the most part, you know, and again, this is a blanket statement, but for the most part, Truvada for PrEP or Discovy for PrEP is an extremely safe medication and prescribing it is not going to hurt them, you know. And both drugs are a component of HIV treatment. Um, they're not a complete regimen, but it's part of it. So, you know, I explain to patients who are like, well, I just don't know if I want to take a pill every day uh, for the, you know, one or two times a month that I might have uh, risky sex. It's like, well, you know, should you contract HIV, you're also looking at taking medication every day. So, but it's a more comprehensive regimen. Um, so I always kind of advocate for prevention. But yeah, I mean, to have someone ask about PrEP and then be told by their provider that they're not at risk is like mind blowing to me. Yeah, and that's a, that's a struggle that um, a lot of AFAB individuals that... Yeah. do have risk behaviors go through. I've mm-hmm. had conversations. I think that our um, transmission rate and HIV transmission rate have went up because lately the more disclosure and the more visibility that trans men have mm-hmm. and trans AFAB individuals have has, mm-hmm. I know I've been on social media and it's kind of mm-hmm. like where I've um, object now. It's more like a lot of people are saying, oh, I want me one of those. And I think Mm -hmm. with and I've had discussions with trans women and they say it comes with the visibility. They've Mm -hmm. been visible, you know, more so because I think trans men or what I don't really like using the term passability. But a lot of the times we we do have that privilege to blend into the cis society Mm -hmm. and that can be. It could be good and it could be bad right? Um, at the same time. So the lack of visibility has provided less resource and knowledges for us, but in knowledge for us. But yeah, with the visibility now, it's kind of like now that we have all this visibility, people know about us and they're starting to learn about us. We're starting to be objectified. Yeah. And I've had this conversation that it's, it's the thing that they have went through now it's like it's it's what trans men or trans masculine uh-huh. afab individuals are going through now mm-hmm. with the objectivity like oh i want me one of those and it's kind of like you're not really a person we're going to dehumanize you but we we want to try it out because it's the new thing and with that it's a lot of now trans men and trans masculine afab or afab non-binary people that are in relationships with Mm -hmm. trans women or cis men or having not just relationships they're having sexual encounters with them Mm -hmm. yeah i think you're completely right it's like a double-edged sword you want to be able to sometimes fly under the radar and just live your normal life and not always have your gender identity be what's guiding you but at the same time to your point 
without being visible and talking about your AFAB status, then you're also doing a disservice a little bit to your actual sexual health needs. Well, I think that's really great, that project that you're doing. And um, how are you guys reaching out to different clinics and finding which ones are needing this kind of education? Um, So in the process of um, updating our resource guide, we did a resource guide. I think it was done. Well, it was done before I started working for the organization, but Mm -hmm. don't quote me on this. I think it was done in 2017. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're updating that. And in the process of updating it, we Mm -hmm. are having calling these Mm -hmm. providers office and asking them the services that they provide. Mm -hmm. Asking also um, if they have been trained and if they have been trained when was the last time they've been trained Mm kind of asking around what services they provide um, do they have any trans specific services and then we're offering to have trainings if depending on the answers i'm also we i also have done a created a survey Mm -hmm. um, that i will be sending out to providers this is Mm -hmm. part two of our survey that i did the part one of the survey was for specifically for AFAB individuals just to get some data around sexual health for us and see their interactions with um, providers and mm-hmm. if they're HIV positive or, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of get a feel for what's going on in the community on a broader scope mm-hmm. besides just the individuals that I interact with um, within the organization and our members, mm-hmm. but also to so the part two is to send out these surveys to providers and it's just to see a little how, how they feel about having a conversation, if they feel comfortable with having a conversation mm-hmm. around sexual health, a dialogue. Have they had training? Have their office staff had training? Was it mandatory? Those type of questions. Yeah, well, that's awesome. So you're really taking over the hard part for potential new patients of that whole vetting out and making sure it's a safe space. Yeah. So on the resource guide, we will have only people that have been vetted by the organization. And this is uh, we're not just doing it ourselves, the resource guide. We're doing it with also Legenda, which is a trans mm-hmm. woman led organization. So we are both doing it together. And it's also to come out of this project will also be kind of like a provider's manual mm-hmm. around trans identity mm-hmm. to give them some ideas how to have a discussion with a trans individual when it comes to sexual health and how to speak about body parts. But we also refer to like the best practice is just to ask them. Right. Yeah. Um, What is their preferred word for it? Yeah. 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 So all of this has came out of the project and it's really expanded into this big, uh, it's it's way bigger than we envisioned it to be, but it's much needed. (laughs) Yeah, it's really exciting. I I mean, I can't wait for that resource guide because as a provider myself, you know, I try to vet out everybody that I refer to. And I always tell my patients like, you know, should you get there and your experience is different from what I expect it to be or what I thought it should be in my vetting process, please let me know because I don't want to be sending people into the war zone, you know. So and it's really hard with specialists because you find them. But then, like you said, their front staff changes and then they didn't get the education that the previous front staff had or whatnot. And so sometimes really challenging because I don't always have the time I would love to dedicate to vetting out other specialties. But particularly finding inclusive gynecologists is very challenging. 
like you said, it's a, it's a very female dominated space. It's a lot of pink gowns. It's a lot of very feminine decorations. And so I really try and find, you know, people who are specialized in that, that, um, also do other things too. So that there are other reasons why like men would be in the waiting room. So people to feel less outed just even sitting in that space, you know, because it is such a challenge. So, you know, when you have that resource guide, and because right now I only have a couple of resources in that regard in my back pocket. So I would love to be able to help out with that or and, and utilize that guide as well. Yeah. So we actually still have the the old version mm-hmm. online. If you if you look it up, it is. Uh, oh, excellent. If you look up Georgia Transgender Resource Guide and, and it's online PDF style and we will be updating and we're hoping to roll out the new updated resource guide in the beginning of next year. Oh, perfect. Yes, I have seen that guide before. Yes, that's awesome. So I'll make sure I list that in our podcast episode summary and then any other additional resources you want me to list, I'll do that as well so that people who are listening have that uh, access to information. That's so cool. Hey, everyone, I have a quick favor to ask. If you wouldn't mind taking a moment and just clicking the subscribe button on whichever platform you use to listen to my show, that would be wonderful. Not only does it allow you to get notified every time I publish an episode, but it also helps with my ratings and reviews, which what that means in podcast world is that I'm able to climb up in the rating scale and reach other listeners. The whole reason why I started this show is to access people who needed the information. So please just go ahead and click subscribe. Then we can all be happy and continue to listen listen to this good quality free information. Thank you so much. And also as part of the sexual health and HIV, we kind of briefly touched on it too. Are you also kind of addressing the lack of pregnancy prevention that's being offered to AFABs? Yes, actually we are. Um, we asked those questions in our survey also, but we are also in the provider's um, manual. What we hope to come out of both of these surveys is a broader survey that kind of brings more information and knowledge about trans individuals so we can not only get more knowledge, but also to provide resources or to be included in when they have when they're having these big research studies on individuals um, so we can be included in that. A lot of the times trans women are included in these research studies, but the most of the time when they're included, they're linked in with MSN, men who used to have sex with men. Mm-hmm. And I mean, to me, that's problematic, but they do have sure. generally have more resources than AFAB individuals. So a lot of this, what we're doing is to try to bring those resources up front. And then to also the second part is to get providers to acknowledge that there is a need to have the services like pregnancy prevention or HIV prevention, but in inside the manual that we have for providers that is, it's almost done. It, it does have information around pregnancy and things to ask individuals mm-hmm. when it comes to that, like if they're having um, receptive sex or what what is called, what we ask is if they have a partner or if they have sex with somebody that produces sperm. Mm-hmm. Those are some of the things that we have for the provider to ask. Mm-hmm. So that way they can kind of know and they're not really being 
they're not saying wording things wrong, like saying, are you having sex with somebody that has a penis? Because that can be sometimes traumatic to some individuals. Mm -hmm. Just teaching them how to word things to mm -hmm. try to get make the individual more comfortable. Mm -hmm. That way, if the individual is more comfortable, they'll be more honest, I feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's awesome. Well, we look forward to um, the publication of that, and um, we'll definitely be able to disperse it and help out with that in any way. So, but you have another really interesting project that I feel like we should talk about. Yeah. So the other project we have a few. We have um, a probably about seven projects. I know you have a lot that... of projects. It's really exciting to go through them all. But I think you know this one that you should that we mentioned talking about is so important right now. Yeah, so with the climate and everything that's going on, I actually started this project before the movement that mm -hmm. has been going on with Black Lives Matter movement and the racial tensions that's been going on. I actually started this project, Trans Stop and Violence Project, about a year ago. Mm -hmm. And the project came out of, um, I actually did a training with Men Stopping Violence. Mm -hmm. And it's an organization that is based here in Atlanta also. Mm -hmm. And they particularly focus on prevention pretty much around violence against women. So I took the training and I, I seen how the educational approach they take mm -hmm. is really beneficial to, to get an individual to realize or to put have empathy or to mm -hmm. gain knowledge around systematic mm -hmm. views and systematic mm -hmm. oppressions mm -hmm. and how it could benefit what's happening with the trans community. Mm -hmm. So I, I made, uh, came up with this project, Trans Stopping Violence. Um, and it's particularly just, a st it, it came just to stop the violence that's happening towards um, trans women. Mm -hmm. The murders that has been happening with them mm -hmm. at least 20 plus every year. Right. Um, Which is so, a lot. Yes. So I came up with this project. And then, of course, the Black Lives Matter movement has been going on. Mm -hmm. And when trans individuals have been murdered, they don't. And, and it's the same thing as um, black a black cis man being murdered by the police is if a trans individual is being murdered mm -hmm. by an individual just because of trans. It's mm -hmm. the same thing as a, a cis man being murdered by the police because he's black. Mm -hmm. So I think it's been a disconnect in the community, especially when um, Tony McDade was mm -hmm. murdered a mm -hmm. few days after George Floyd was. Mm -hmm. And it, I did see some representation for Tony, and I think it was more community-wise individuals. Yeah. But I didn't see a large representation for Tony in the movement when everybody was out protesting and marching. It wasn't a representation for him at all. Right. Yeah, because when I read your write-up on him on your website, I hadn't heard about his death or his murder. Yeah, and a lot of the times with with trans masculine trans men when we are murdered or a lot of times we're assaulted raped he was actually assaulted a few days before mm -hmm. he was murdered tony was and nobody brought that up nobody said anything nobody really acknowledged tony at all except for the community the mm -hmm. only outcry that we really heard came from within the community mm -hmm. and at first, he was still being misgendered in his death, so they were calling him 
uh, misgendering him the whole time. Um, even individuals that knew him were misgendering him to the media. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times we're either reported as being a cis woman when we're murdered mm-hmm. or as a, yeah, as a cis woman, the lesbian. So a lot of our numbers don't end up coming up. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, I think it's a disconnect right now with the black community and the trans community because mm-hmm. at the, before the end of it for black trans people before anything else, before our gender identity, we're mm-hmm. black. Right. And then when you come into, and, and a lot of times it was a sister that was attacked right after the George Floyd's mm-hmm. protests. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, we're fighting the same fight that you all are fighting. But mm-hmm. when we come back in the community, Mm-hmm. then we have to be scared for our lives. Right. Um, and it, and it's, it's it's a disconnect right now because I, I feel that I know it's a disconnect for me and mm-hmm. from a lot of individuals I talk to, mm-hmm. but it's how am I going to be fighting for the things you fight for? And then you, mm-hmm. I have to fear for my life. To me, you don't want equality. You don't want equity. Right. You want privilege. Right. Right. And and yeah. Yeah. We need to have more unity where people kind of embrace each other and fight this fight together rather than separate. So when you're marching for Black Lives Matter, it should incorporate all Black lives, mm-hmm. regardless of gender identity, and make sure that there's support for the gender diverse community as well, and that we're announcing. And I'm, you know, I think it's really important that we tell Tony McDade's story as well, to give him some acknowledgement, because you're right, it was overlooked, it wasn't publicized, it was definitely in community magazines, like The Advocate did the write-up on it, the extensive write-up on his case, but it wasn't publicized in, you know, other major news outlets like it was for George Floyd. And his death is just as important as anybody else's in that community. And so just taking this from the advocate, Tony McDade was 38 and he was accused of fatally stabbing another man just minutes before his own death. But he'd actually posted a video on Facebook saying he wanted revenge on a group of men who had beaten him the previous day. So to your point, he was assaulted. He was beaten the previous day. And when he posted that he wanted revenge um, and that he was feeling suicidal because of the brutal attack he had received, they then came around and he was shot outside his apartment complex. So yeah, he was murdered. And it looks like the Tallahassee uh, chief police said that McDade pointed the gun at the officer. And then that's why the officer shot but and, and, I don't know and, that that would be true. <laughs> you just yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm hearing different stories. Some people yeah. are saying he didn't even have a weapon. He probably um, didn't. I mean, look at the climate and the culture that we're in. It's and and Tallahassee is is they've had prior to him. I believe um, they had two mm-hmm. in the, in the same month two other cop mm-hmm. killings that were done in Tallahassee mm-hmm. alone. So I, I'm not I'm not positive that he even had a weapon mm-hmm. i think they just seen another black man and and yeah they you know and they profiled and i don't yeah and i don't i don't blame tony you know really for wanting revenge oh no he, he was beat he was really assaulted by a group of men right um just because of his gender identity right a lot of the times trans masculine trans afab individuals are assaulted were raped Mm-hmm. sometimes murdered and, and it doesn't go reported just like you were saying they they had these large gatherings and they had um representation in the big media and the, the mm-hmm. 
but it was no representation. It was a little uh, local mm-hmm. representation um, yeah. in the media for Tony, and that's just the the regular news the mm-hmm. for the the right. local community. It was no representation for him nationally, like it was broadcasted for the other individuals right. that were murdered. Right. Yeah. And it says here in the article, he's at least the 12th transgendered American to die violently this year. They say at least because to your point, not everybody um, is being identified as gender diverse when their death is being reported. So it's probably that number is probably higher. Yeah, it's it's those are just the ones that are reported. Right. I right. know as of now we are at, I believe, 19 or 20. Yeah. And it's and it's and this project trying stopping violence is to really and we are more focusing on cis men and mm-hmm. the targeting cis black men mm-hmm. of this project is to and it, and this is a project, a collaboration. It's with men stopping violence, they'll be helping us reach an audience in a in a demographic that we don't really have access to. Mm-hmm. which is black cis men. They have more access to them. And we're hoping to put this piece into their curriculum to have um, some input and some information on trans individuals mm-hmm. and identity. They do do a good training around trying to be inclusive of different sexual orientations. But I think our our collaboration is bringing out more information around gender identity. So that'll be put into their curriculum. And their curriculum is actually um, individuals come across the nation just to take the, have the training. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they go back to whatever organizations and they can do, conduct these trainings Mm -hmm. to people. A lot of times individuals that are in um, domestic violence situations Mm -hmm. or that have a court um it's kind of like a diversion mm-hmm. they have court instead of going to jail they have to take mandated to take this class and to pass it to you know be uh, you have to be in the class and involved in the class to yeah. actually get credit for going to the class yeah and and deemed um, competent after it yes yeah, so yeah. I believe this project and our collaboration with them will reach a lot of folks. And I and I hope it will do some justice and stop some of the violence that's been happening for individuals. I, um, also, I put on our website, the one of back in May, it was and we were just finding out about this a few weeks ago. Um, mm-hmm. Another individual was attacked. Yeah, the 18-year-old from Christian, California. Yeah, Christian yeah. Rose. He was just... He's a kid, pretty much. He just yeah. graduated from high school, and he was left found. They left him to die. Right. And his his mom and his uh, ex girlfriend ended up finding him. Mm-hmm. Um, now he's having to go through rehab, learning to walk again, to do oh basic gosh. body functioning. So we're and hoping this-, this this brings out some type of empathy and yeah. and humanizing people and and stop making us seem like uh, a lot of times individuals that are attacked, these are people that they know. These are not a lot of times random people right, right. That off the street. These are people that the individuals know. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And, and, you know, about his case is it's, 
you know, is, is in, uh, I think it was Los Angeles. And mm-hmm. so you're talking about this violent hate crime occurring in an area that is supposed to be known as one of the more progressive accepting areas. And so when you extrapolate that to areas like Georgia, that is, you know, we live in our little bubble Atlanta that's fairly progressive and fairly inclusive. We have a lot of work to do, of course. But in comparison to other parts of Georgia, Atlanta is like the holy grail, you know? But you're talking about this happening in a progressive area that's supposed to be safe and inclusive for people in the gender diverse community um, or the LGBTQI community in general. And this type of violent crime is happening there. I mean, you can't even begin to imagine what kind of violent crimes are going unreported in less inclusive areas, you know. And in people in those communities where it happens, like rural areas of Georgia and other conservative states, they're often not even reported because the community is backing them for their decision for violence. Yeah, that has been um, an issue. That's why we focus a lot on collaborations. Yeah. Because if we are linking people, we have um, other resources to get the information out. Yeah. Yeah. It's power in numbers. And people that we can't usually reach with just by ourselves. Yeah. And and the, the unique thing about this project is it teaches about intersectionality. It teaches on the roots of patriarchy and the systematic views and systematic oppressions and also, Mm -hmm. you know, how things are set up in the patriarchy and colonization and um, pretty much how the systems work all the way from government to the media to the individual, how these things are passed down. Mm-hmm. Um, these stereotypes and this in this in patriarchy views right that uh, the world not only the world but I think what America was built on mm-hmm. so I think this this project is unique and it'll bring about I hope we can reach yeah a, a wide range of people yeah not just the people that you know would attack somebody but also the people that are looking sideways or laughing or you right. know, putting somebody out of out of a business because of right. or won't hire somebody because they're trans. We did have a win in the Supreme Court a few weeks ago saying that they can't discriminate against a person because of gender identity or sexual orientation. But especially for places in the South that don't have that are places that right or right to hire, you know, it's 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 a, it's still going to be a struggle. Um, right. And, and yeah, because trans individuals always deal with discriminations on different levels. Yeah, of course, which is why, you know, because it's still it, there's a law against it. However, employers who are discriminatory can find other reasons for dismissal and things and, and not calling for an interview. So, you know, getting wide acceptance and, you know, more support for the community and what you're doing is going to be really helpful. And I also think it's really important, too, with your connection with lawyers and such that can help people in the community navigate gender marker updates and things like that, because that's super important, too. And I, I I often get patients who, you know, have had minor procedures done. And in Georgia, this just kind of plays onto the whole discriminatory based on gender identity. So in Georgia, you can't change your marker on your driver's license or your birth certificate without an, an affirming surgery. It does not have mm-hmm. to be a vaginoplasty, phalloplasty, or metatoidoplasty. It can be anything. And so I often get new patients who have had minor procedures like a tracheal shave or a bilateral mastectomy for affirming surgery, things like that, who don't know that they can update their marker. And I think updating their marker protects them, 
you know, against different either discrimination, hate crimes, things like that, because the name and the marker then match their identity and they can, you know, not be discriminated based on those things. Yeah, and, and, and <laughs> we actually do a document project, um, and you all help us with, mm-hmm. you know, um, passport clinic that we provide for individuals. And if you have, in the state of Georgia, if you have a passport, in the passport office, you don't have to have a surgery requirement to Correct. have your passport match the gender identity that you identify as and you can use that passport to go in or also and change you should be able to do that in any state right you should be able to use your passport to go inside of the dmv and have your gender marker changed but uh, uh, another i touch on this a little bit um our document project not only does that um but we help with services around marriage license, license, mm-hmm. driver's license. And, we, and then this year we are focusing on actually building a campaign to take away those re- those um, restrictions for have, having to have a, a surgery right. to um, have get your license changed over, your gender marker yeah. um, on the license change. Yeah, it's got to so, change. Yeah, so we are building a campaign to get that done um, because a lot of times when you, uh, some individuals can't afford surgery. Mm-hmm. So with that, you know, it's, it's and it like you said, it prevents people sometimes from getting employment, from going to school, from a different variety of things that are or resources that they might need mm-hmm. or or denied because their their gender marker does not m- match up to the identity that they go in and the the individual presents as daily. Right, right, yeah, it's got to change. It's so outdated, and honestly, some people don't want to get surgery, you know, and that's totally yeah. fine too. But they should still be able to update their marker. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, it's been so interesting talking to you, Quentin, and that all this information is going to be so important for the community to hear. Um, I do have other providers that listen to this podcast, too. So if anyone is listening and wants more information on the project or wants to help with the resource guide that Quentin is setting up and his team, please feel free to email me at Aaron at exclusivelyinclusivepodcast.com. I'll have contact information for transforming and Quentin in the podcast summary. If anyone wants more information or wants to donate or join because you can become a member here in Atlanta and all those steps are outlined on their website, which is www.trans-forming.org. That will also be listed in the podcast summary. So thank you for your time, Quentin. Is there anything else you wanted to uh, mention or touch base on before we wrap up today? No, I just want to thank you again for having me. And um, also I wanted to let individuals know that we also, if you don't live in Atlanta, we can link you to other organizations that we partner up with and do collaborations with. So don't hesitate to reach out to us about anything. And um, you can stay informed on and updated with what we do on our website. Excellent. Yes, that's so important because I have listeners from out of state. So if you're sitting there listening, thinking, oh, why don't I have an amazing organization like this near me? 
reach out to Quentin and his team and uh, they can potentially link you with an organization closer to you that can help you navigate finding a safe healthcare provider, some documentation assistance and all those types of things. So thank you so much. And thank you for coming on the show. I know you're really busy with all the work that you're doing. And um, I really value everything that you're doing. And if there's anything that I can do to help you out or make your projects more well-known or anything like that, you just let me know um, and I'll be happy to assist. Will do. Thanks again. You're so welcome. Remember, everybody, stay fierce and live your truth.